So today, the title of my message is Universal Evidence of Design and Designer. Uh, and the verse uh, that we're going to be uh, basing this off of is Psalms 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The ancient Israelite poet is writing about something that theologians call general revelation. So there are, as Christians, we believe in two types of revelation. We believe in general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is this, that God, who is the artist of the universe, signed his name in the universe. Uh, there is evidence for God in what he created, and that's open to everybody. Anybody uh, throughout time can look and see God's work to see uh, nature, to see um, rocks and trees and the sky and the sun and see these things and know uh, that there is something behind those things. Special revelation is the Bible, is uh, the Spirit of God speaking to his people. It is um, special in that it is about Jesus. It is pointing to who uh, this God is. And so today, we're going to be spending our time talking primarily about general revelation. And uh, we have this great picture here. It's actually a selfie of me. I'm over here. On the, oh, too far. Over here on the side. Uh, this is a, a picture of the universe. Today, we're going to be talking about general revelation. Uh, but one thing that we have to understand is that I'm going to be talking a lot about science. Um, and most people have the belief that science and religion, or specifically Christianity, are at odds. This is simply not true. Um, what uh, science is, is simply the study of the natural world. It is a methodology for, for examining the world we live in. And if we are going to be intellectually honest Christians, there is nothing incompatible with Scripture and science. What comes into conflict is the philosophy behind most of modern science, which is called naturalism. Naturalism is not a science, but a philosophy that believes that uh, the only explanations available to us are natural explanations. So the uh, only thing that exists is the material world. Any explanations outside of the material world uh, are not real, and you shouldn't believe them. That's what naturalism says. Uh, we, as Christians, the Christian faith, is not a naturalistic faith. We don't believe that the universe or matter is the end-all, be-all of existence. We believe uh, in something greater than nature. And so we are theists, is what we're called. Now, we as Christians are theists. There are atheists who are, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a ah, it's a Greek uh, uh, prefix that means without God. So atheists, they don't believe in God. Um, there's also, a lot of atheists are naturalists, but there are also atheist religions like Buddhism. So there can be atheists who are naturalists or not naturalists. So there's just a lot of terminology. Um, but what most people get confused is the philosophy behind a lot of um, scientists' ideas, which is naturalism, and they confuse that with science. Naturalism is not science. Naturalism is a philosophy. Science is merely studying the universe. 
There is no conflict between science and religion, and specifically there is no uh, conflict between science and the Bible. There's no conflict. Science is, like I said, it's a way to measure, to, to study the universe. So there is no conflict between um, a man 2,000 years ago named Jesus performed miracles uh, and taught and died and resurrected. There is no conflict between that than if I were to go and, and measure the length of this pole. That's science. Measuring the dimensions of this pole is science. There's no conflict between that and what's written in Scripture. It's just merely a description of the natural world. So we're going to be looking at uh, some science. Uh, now, some of these slides that I have are based on uh, what scientists believe, and some of them are naturalists. And so um, I'm not going to necessarily endorse um, all of the things that are written on the slides, but uh, they're the slides that uh, will convey the meaning uh, well. Um, I'm going to be mentioning some years. And if you have questions about the years in Genesis, I'm going to leave it for your pastor to answer. Um, <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and look at this. And so uh, this is a model of the beginning of the universe. Um, it is called the Big Bang. Uh, the Big Bang is actually a derogatory term that uh, was used when it first started. And what comes as a surprise to most people is that as Christians, we actually believe in the Big Bang. Now, let me explain that. Again, we're not adopting the naturalistic philosophy behind this, but the Big Bang as simply the beginning of the universe. We believe that. We believe the universe came into existence. And here's some of the history behind that. Prior to the discovery uh, in the late 19th, early 20th century, um, of, of certain scientific principles that we'll get into, most scientists believed in an eternal universe. They believed, uh, because of some philosophical presuppositions, they believed that the universe existed forever. Um, some of the Greek philosophers believed this too. They believed that the universe had always existed, that it had um, no beginning. As a matter of fact, Darwin's theory of evolution is predicated, is, is based on the belief that the universe is eternal. Because if you have an infinite amount of time in an infinite universe, there is maybe the slight possibility of some changing, uh, some evolution happening um, that can cause the origin of species, the origin of life. But it was discovered uh, that the universe had a beginning. And the way that they discovered this were two discoveries. Um, one was uh, by uh, Edwin Hubble. You've heard of the Hubble telescope? Um, they, they sent out a satellite. It's, it's got a telescope on it. It's some of the most amazing pictures ever seen. Um, but Hubble was looking at the stars, and he realized um, that a phenomenon was happening. The stars that were farther away were turning red. And they were trying to study, they were trying to figure out why this was happening. And the reason that that was happening was because they were moving farther away from us. All the stars out that are farther from us are, are turning red. And the reason that they're turning red is because light is a wave. When light hits your eyes, it's coming at you in waves. The farther it is, the longer those waves are stretched. 
And so that turns light red. The closer it is, the more blue it is. My science professor tells a joke that it's the same thing when you're driving on the highway. When the cars are coming at you, the headlights are blue, but when they're going the other way, they're red. It's amazing. <laughs> but so they, they, looked at, they looked at this and they realized that the universe was expanding. And so that had some implications. If the universe right now is expanding, that means that if we rewinded the tape, it was all together. That means at some point in the past, all of the matter and all of the energy in the universe was at a single point, if you rewind it. And then they discovered, uh, a couple of decades later, they started looking, uh, and they actually discovered it by accident, they discovered the background radiation in the universe, basically the explosion from the Big Bang. They were able to, to find um, that radiation. And so what that tells them is that in the past, and what they estimated at 13.77 billion years ago, the universe, all of the matter, all of the energy in the universe was at um, this initial point, the singularity, which means that the universe came into being. Now, what's really interesting is that it says here, dark ages, this time period, we know nothing about it. Science stops right here in this line. This dark, this dark age, we don't know how long it is. We don't know what was happening. All we know is that our science stops. And so we're going to guess um, that if we keep backing up the tape, that all of it coalesced, all of it was together. And somehow, from point A to point B, all of the constants in the universe, in the universe were set at such uh, precision that it allowed the universe to continue to expand without instantly dissolving or blowing up or dying. Um, and at, in those moments, it was um, all of the constants in the universe were set that ultimately gave rise to life on Earth. So, what we can gather from uh, the beginning of the universe is that, by definition, whatever caused the universe, whatever made this happen, and we don't know what it is because our, our science can't go back, math breaks down right here at this point. It gets very confusing. It's like me in math class. It's, that's how I understand that. Um, whatever caused this to begin, the initial spark that set it off, whatever that is, by logical definition, has to exist outside of the universe. Because nothing inside the universe can create the universe. Right? You, you, you can't... Something inside a thing can't be the one that created itself. So, something outside of the universe has to create it. Inside the universe is matter. Right? We're all, we're all made of matter. We're all made of atoms and molecules. So, whatever created the universe has to be non-material. It can't be made of matter because it made matter. And whatever made the universe has to be outside of time because time exists in the universe. So whatever, whatever it is that caused the universe, science can't tell us because science stops right here. It only exists inside the universe. Our science doesn't go beyond it. So whatever caused it, 
by logical definition, has to be outside of it. It has to be outside of space and time. And it has to be incredibly powerful because the universe is immense. At the beginning, all matter, energy, material, all of it came into existence. Whatever caused that thing to happen has to be incredibly powerful. Now, people speculate about what it is. There's some actually some really funny speculations. There's some belief that it's a, it's a giant um, universe-making machine that kind of spits out universes like pizzas. It's, it's very interesting. Um, but whatever it is has to be, just by definition, outside of the universe. It has to be outside of space and time, and it has to be incredibly powerful. Um, the other thing that it has to be is that outside of the universe, so if this is the, the universe that we can see, that contains our solar system, our galaxy, every galaxy that exists, um, and everything that we cannot see because we cannot see the edge of the universe, and the universe is expanding away from itself. Outside of the universe is nothing. Now, I looked up the word nothing in the original Greek, and it means nothing. <laughs> there's no space, there's no time. See, when we think of nothing, we think about space. We think about the distance from the earth to the moon. So, well, there's nothing there. Actually, there is something there. There's space. There's time. Outside of the universe is literal nothing. No up, no down, no left, no right. No matter, no heat. Nothing. Now, the only thing that can affect change in nothing is a will. That's the only thing that we know of that can affect change in nothing, is to have something with a will to enact change in the nothingness. I know, it gets confusing. But um, it has to be a mind. Only a mind can affect change in nothing. So whatever caused the universe has to be outside of the universe. It has to be incredibly powerful, it has to be outside of space and time, and we think it might actually be a mind with a will. The next thing that we're going to discuss is DNA. Now DNA is really cool. DNA is um, the genetic code that makes up all living things. Everything that is alive on Earth has DNA. DNA is made up of an alphabet, adenine, thymine, guanine, and uh, cytosine. They call them A, T, G, and C. Um, these are nucleotides, and they make up a basic, for lack of a better word, alphabet. It's a four-letter alphabet that contains all of the information for every living thing on Earth. Your DNA tells your cells, uh, tells your body what proteins to make. It tells uh, your body, um, you be an ear and you be a toe. And DNA can tell the difference between what is what. It allows our eyes, you know, if you think about the human eye, it's just meat. 
I don't know if you know this, but you're basically just meat <laughs> and a lot of water. Meat, it tells the meat in your eye to be sensitive to light. And then it goes about creating cones and rods and organizing itself in such a way as to allow you to be aware of the world around you. The meat in your brain, DNA, tells this meat to control and regulate all of the functions in your body. Things that you are voluntarily doing, like sitting here right now and looking at me, and things that you are involuntarily doing, like your heart beating, and your breathing, and what's going on in your stomach. It tells that piece of meat, do this. And all of that information comes from DNA, which is tiny and microscopic, and until recently, when we developed better uh, microscopes, we couldn't see it. It contains all the information necessary for life. So human DNA contains all the information necessary to create a human being with all of our functions. And you just kind of think about all of the bodily functions that are currently going on inside of you. Fingernails and hair and ears and toes and legs and knees, head and shoulders, knees and toes. <laughs> all of it is being controlled or being told by DNA what to do. All of the um, processes that are happening microscopically inside of you are being controlled by your DNA. All of what's going on inside of a tree, inside of a plant, is controlled by DNA. All the things that are going on inside of bugs are being controlled by DNA. Now, the interesting thing about DNA is that it contains information. So if we were looking at the origin of DNA, and we were naturalists, we would have a hard time coming up with a naturalistic explanation for the origin of the information contained within DNA. Now the reason is, nature can produce patterns. Nature can produce complex patterns. We can see some pretty incredible things in nature. But it cannot produce information. So, for example, let's say that we took, we all of us just loaded up in my car right now and we took a trip to my home state of California and walked on a beach. You really can't do that up here in the Pacific Northwest. Sarah took me and it was freezing. But let's <laughs> pretend that we're walking on a beach and we're looking at the sand on, on the seashore and we see lines all along the beach. And we're looking at all of these lines and it looks like a work of art, it looks really cool. And we say, wow, how did, we, how did these things get here? And then we notice that there's waves, there's a tide. And the waves come in and they leave a cool pattern in the sand, and then they go back. And then the waves come in again, this time at a different distance, and create a new pattern, and they leave cool, signs, uh, cool lines on the sand. And so we would look at that pattern and we would say, wow, that's really interesting, that's really amazing, that explains how these lines got there, because nature can produce patterns. However, if we were walking along the beach and we saw Andrew loves Sarah, written on the beach, we wouldn't say, wow, those waves are amazing. <laughs> we would say, no, an intelligence put those lines on the beach. Now, they're still lines. They're, they're simple lines, but those lines 
contain information, useful information, information that you can read, information that conveys something. So nature can produce uh, complex, uh, very intricate patterns, but it cannot produce information. And yet, contained in every single one of your cells and in every cell of every living thing on earth is a four-letter alphabet that contains information. Information that tells trillions and trillions and trillions of cells and proteins and all kinds of other things that I can't name, and it tells them what to do. How did that information get there? The only place that we know of that can produce information, not just patterns, but information, is an intelligence. Only intelligence can produce information. If you look at, for example, um, engineer, computer engineers. We live up in Seattle, and we have a lot of tech companies up there. We have a lot of people who are computer engineers. I have a friend of mine who is a computer engineer, and he, he showed me a line of code one time and was explaining it to me, and it just looked like the matrix. I didn't understand what he was telling me. But one day I was talking to him and I said, Phil, why, you know, he was very upset. I said, Philip, why are you so upset? He says, I've been spending hours on this. Something is wrong with this code and I've spent hours on it. And I finally realized I put in a zero instead of an O. One mistake in all this code and I messed the whole thing up. He says, but I, I went through and I fixed it. I recognized my mistake. I fixed it and now it works. And so the only, and so we understand now because of computer technology, that by coding in certain things, it's only an intelligence that can encode something, that can put in information, that can put in complex information. It can't just produce patterns. It can't just be patterns or by chance. I can't, if I just walked into Philip's office and just started mashing on his keyboard, I would not produce code. I would just make my friend very upset and he would kick me out. But only an intelligence can produce information like the type of information that we see inside of the DNA, of human DNA. Now next, we're gonna discuss um, is something that is really interesting uh, I, I, that I <laughs> found. Um, these are chromosome, these are just representations of chromosome chromosomes, these are X and Y chromosomes and XX chromosome. Um, chromosomes are our sex genes, they determine our gender. Turns out it's written on our DNA. But uh, for every, every male in this room has an XY chromosome, we have these two chromosomes. The Y is what makes us male. Every single male in this room inherited his Y chromosome from his dad. My son is my son because he inherited a Y chromosome from me, and he is my son. And all females have XX uh, chromosomes. And so uh, that's what makes you female. And so what is really interesting is that um, over the past few years, there's been an explosion in genetics research. It's DNA. They did the Human Genome Project uh, in the 90s, and they were able to map out an entire... The, all the information inside of a human DNA, and they were um, studying uh, these things, and it turns out 
that because males receive their Y chromosome from their father, you can actually trace that Y chromosome back. You can, you can trace it backwards in time. You can, that's why um, genetics testing, ancestry testing is really popular. Right? We, can, we can test, we can check genetics, and we can trace that back in time. But we can do the same thing with the Y chromosome. We can trace the Y chromosome as far back as we possibly can. And so some scientists said, hey, let's do that. I got nothing going on this weekend. Let's trace back Y chromosome of as many males as we can to see when the last common ancestor was within humanity. So they started tracing it back. And they traced back the Y chromosome to a single male about 50,000 years ago. That was the estimation that they gave. It's an approximate estimation. And they traced it back to a single man, which means all males on Earth are descendants from this one man, uh, a human who lived about 50,000 years ago. Now, geologists uh, and, and archaeologists were studying, and they came up separately. They came up with a date, and they said, we believe that the first humans appeared on Earth about 100,000 years ago. There's, there's evidence for the complete human body type about 100,000 years ago, and that's what we think it is. So, oh, that's really interesting. Scientists said, ha, see, 50,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago. Yeah, you theists are wrong, but we're going to call this guy Y-chromosomal Adam. And every time they, they draw a figure of Y-chromosomal Adam, he always looks like a monkey. Um, but this is Y-chromosomal Adam. We can trace it back. And yes, all, hum all human males are descendants from this one guy, but humans have been around for 50,000 years even before that. Well, then they did the same thing uh, with, with females. Actually, I think they did the female first and the male. But, so this is a, a cell inside of your body that your DNA has made. Um, and inside your cell is mitochondria. Mitochondria are the powerhouse of your cell. Mitochondria are what is, um, it's the power plant of your, somebody has described cells as like a city. You have information contained uh, inside, it's like a library, um, you have a police department, and you have the power plant, which is the mitochondria. The mitochondria convert food into energy. Now what's really fascinating is inside the mitochondria, inside of the, the, this structure itself, actually contains DNA. And that DNA is passed on from your mom. Females pass on DNA through the mitochondria. That, that is a unique DNA that only comes uh, from females. And so, scientists got together one three-day weekend and said, hey, let's trace this back as far as we can go. And so they started tracing back um, through genetic research to see how far they could trace back the last common female ancestor. And so they traced it back, and they found that every human on Earth is descendant from one woman who lived about 100,000 years ago. And they said, wow, that was, that's pretty interesting. Um, she about coincides with when we see the first humans appearing on Earth, um, but it's still 50,000 years removed from uh, the Y chromosome dude. And so we're going to call this person mitochondrial Eve kind of tongue-in-cheek, making fun of some Christians. And so that's what they called her. Well, then, 
Some other scientists said, you know, we want to study this a little further. We're going to take a whole week to study this, not just a weekend. And so they studied it a little bit more, and then they discovered, uh-oh. It turns out that Y chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve are not separated by 50,000 years. It turns out that they are contemporaneous. They're contemporaries of each other. And they both appeared on the scene at the same time that geologists and anthropologists tell us that human beings and the human race first appeared on Earth. And maybe we should stop calling them Y-chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve because the implications of this are uncomfortable. Because according to the DNA research, every human being on Earth is descendant from a single man and a single woman that existed contemporaneously around the same time period at the advent of the human race, at the beginning of the human race. This makes people uncomfortable because you can start to draw the conclusions. And it really was poor naming on their part. They really shouldn't have called them Adam and Eve because, uh-oh. So, now, I mean, there's debate about this. Nobody is, is, there's not consensus in this. But Christians have pointed out, hey, that's really interesting stuff and we really like it. And we think that there's some implications here. And uh, it's actually really interesting to read the stuff and to see them argue back and forth. It's like watching a Facebook page. It's incredible. But what can we learn? So whatever caused the universe is by definition outside of the universe because we know that the universe had a beginning. We call it the Big Bang. So the universe had a start in the finite past. It's not eternal like naturalists thought, like Darwin thought, um, or even like Einstein thought. Um, it actually had a beginning, sort of like theologians had been saying for a long time, um, and that whatever caused the universe must be, by definition, outside of the universe. It has to be outside of space and time, or to give it more theological words, it has to be eternal and outside of matter, which is spiritual. It has to be incredibly powerful because it caused everything in the universe to begin to exist. Whatever encoded DNA has to be intelligent. It has to be a mind, because only a mind can produce information. Oh, and this information for human DNA is passed down to every human being on Earth from a single man and a single woman at the advent of the human race. We haven't even read the Bible yet. There are some incredible things that science and nature are pointing to. Some amazing things. And yet when people read the Bible, they think about this God, this God that Genesis is describing, who is the first cause. And they hear about Jesus healing a blind man, and that's too much. Do you really think that if the God of the universe, this God that science is pointing to, existed, do you think it would be too much for him to say, heal the blind man or the lame man, to cure leprosy or cancer? 
Would it be too much? Whoops. Would it be too much for this God to conquer death? Would it be really too much for a God that is so powerful, for a being so powerful and so complex that He created all that we can see and all that we can't see? Who literally left evidence for us written on the night sky and even in our own blood. Written in our DNA is the signature of God. This, there is something more than what we think. The crazy thing about this being who is so infinite and so complex, you couldn't know this being. We can't think back that far. This being is too complex. It's too powerful. And we couldn't know it unless it revealed itself to us. Unless he entered a relationship with us. God is amazing. And so many people are talked out of faith because of what they perceive as science when really it's a philosophy. It's called naturalism. And there are a bunch of Christians, even here in this room, you come and you sit in church because it's the thing you do on Sundays. You come and you sit in the same spot and you check the Christian box. You wear the Christian mask because that's what you do. You vote this way, you live in this place, you eat this food, and you go to this church. And week after week, you sit there because it's what you socially do. And yet, there exists a being so immense and so powerful that our minds cannot even begin to comprehend Him. And He says, I love you. Come now, let us reason together. Come, talk with me. Do you know what the you know, gospel means good news? you know what the good news is? The, the deity who spoke the world into existence loves you. And the crazy thing is, is that this being that science is pointing to is so complex and so huge, it owes us nothing. You know, if you were to compare us to an ant, I don't owe an ant anything. I could step on it, I could let it live. I was a little kid, I had a magnifying glass. <laughs> I owe it nothing. And yet, I am closer to that ant than I am to God. Because if you took that distance from me to the ant and multiplied it by all of eternity, add in infinity, you would only have a fraction of the immensity of God. He owes you nothing. And yet, he took on flesh and walked among us. Because he loves you. You know, we talk about Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. But you've got plenty of sin all on your own. You do things that you know 
are not right. And quite frankly, you don't care. And you do them anyways. And every time you do it, you're spitting in this infinite being's face. And yet he looks at you like a father looks at their children and says, I love you. I love you. I am more than you can imagine, and I love you. Come now, let us reason together. Have this relationship with me. I want to walk with you and talk with you. It boggles my mind. And then I think, if we're Christians, and we truly believe this, that this is the God that we serve, who created the universe and encoded DNA, those two facts alone, and we can't find time to pray. What do you think is too difficult for God who created the universe? Honestly, what's too, what's too big of a task for him? What problem can you possibly face that he cannot answer? Jesus says, ask, pray, pray. Ask anything in my name. Pray to the Father in my name. I'll give it to you. Seek him. Jesus says, knock, and the door will be answered. Seek, and you will find. And yet we come week after week. You sit in the chair. You listen to a good message from a great pastor. And you miss it because you wear the Christian mask. When really there is something so much more available to you in Jesus. The God of the universe took on flesh and dwelt among us and can be known. That's what is amazing, is that what we cannot get to through our science, through our knowledge, it stops at a time in the past. That's as far as our knowledge can go. And yet God breaks through that barrier to come to you to say, I love you. Come home. How terrible. How terrible to, to inoculate yourself to the gospel to get just enough Jesus, just enough Christianity to think, oh, I'm good. When there's so much more. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life in abundance. I don't know what that means, but I want it. Jesus said, he who believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out of you. I don't know what that means, but if an infinite being tells me that rivers of living water can flow out of me, I want it. God is amazing. God loves you. And the heavens declare the glories of God, and the skies proclaim the works of his hand. I'm going to read that psalm. Psalms 19. Verse 2, Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejo rejoices like a strong man to run its race. 
Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit is to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commands of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Isn't that amazing? An infinite being tells you you can be innocent, as if you've never sinned. That there's nothing wrong with you because I love you and I'll make you brand new. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you because you exist and there's no one like you, Lord. You are the living God and besides you there is no other. And I praise you, Lord, for I am overwhelmed by your love and compassion for us, for your mercy and for your grace. Because you took on flesh, you became a human being and died for us. And we don't deserve it, Lord. And yet every day you lavish your love upon us. And we can look out to the night sky and see your handiwork. We can look into our innermost being and into the cells and proteins of our body and we see your signature. For you, O Lord, are the composer and the conductor of the symphony of nature. And we rejoice at you. And we glorify you. And we magnify your holy name. And now, Lord, I ask for each person who's here. I pray that you be with them and that you bless them and that they may know you more fully, Lord. And Lord, I pray for the people here who you're speaking to today, Lord who know that they're wearing the mask. Lord, I pray that you touch their hearts and that today would be the day of salvation. That today they would meet an infinite being and be made new creations. That the old would pass away and behold, all things will become new. For there is nothing impossible for you, O God. And we praise you and we thank you Lord, I pray that you be with them and that you watch over them, Lord. That you give them a new heart and an assurance of salvation. Lord, and I pray that you bless this place and that your will would be done here and that the gospel can go out and touch the hearts and minds of people here, Lord. And that this would be a place where people can meet Jesus, where you are alive and well. And we thank you for this place, and we thank you for this time. And we worship you, and we praise you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.
Amen.